Welcome, everyone, to the Tory Says Show. Today is the 2nd of December, 2021. Slow day yesterday, right? Slow day today. It kind of looks like it's taking forever to move along. But I can tell you, um, there's a lot going on. Uh, a new life, I think. Um, I mean, Rudy Giuliani today became a granddad. So that's fantastic. Um uh, there have been good news and a lot of stuff, stuff coming out. I think we should talk about it. I mean, there's we should talk about a lot of stuff. But before we get to that, I thought I could show you guys another trailer of the docuseries that's coming. So uh, for those of you that didn't catch it on YouTube, uh, it's on my main YouTube channel, Tori Says. As long as I upload video and they check them, they let me play stuff. Not allowed to live stream. I've been completely demonetized, of course. And um, I play it safe. And videos that I link up to there, I ensure to keep on a private stream on whatever so nobody can ban it. That way I can still maintain that channel until we fix things. So I thought I would play it with you guys. For the record... I wanted to clarify something. Someone was like, oh my God, you snob. Okay, pedestrian. It means something walking, dead man walking. When you give someone something like Carrie as a name, which is carrier, um, they're like a doomed asset. So <laughs> that's why I said it. I should have been more careful to understand that a lot of people, um, you know, don't understand uh, certain things. But for the record, I never went under the name of Carrie, nor do I work for, but maybe with in the past. Here we go. Covering the intelligence community is mosaic. It's a puzzle. You protect each piece because you don't know what piece someone is missing. Wow. And a merry bahumbug to all of you from TV Marti, the voice of Cuba. An operation that we used against the Soviets during the Cold War, it's counter-operation being used in the United States. We cannot run an intelligence business on that kind of basis and part of it's secret and i'm going to say that it stays secret that you know there's all of soros funded open society funded art organizations in eastern europe uh, that all happened in the 90s that's the funding that starts before the the market funding it's the Ford foundation funding right it's triangle arts trust 
but existing foundations like Ford have their limitations, and officially at least entirely independent of the CIA. Why not create new foundations? Agency, I mean agency, foundation upon foundation, that is how you build a mosaic. First, CIA itself set up a number of dummy foundations, calling them by impressive-sounding and meaningless names. Today is really a chance for global citizens to come together and let those leaders know the time for action is now. This amphitheater is actually going to be filled with fully vaccinated activists. I thank you very much for this opportunity to address the Davos agenda. A new global deal, a new model for global governance. Global governance. Did you hear that? What truly matters is not which party controls our government, but whether our government is controlled by the people. They're decimating the State Department. As a friend of mine, who was the number two guy at the State Department, said, you can go up on the seventh floor and holler and hear an echo. As a former government official, government's going to kill this guy. And he questioned the uh, integrity of the intelligence agencies. What does he expect? Does he expect them to love him and not leak stuff? Because he started this war with the intelligence agencies, and this is what you're getting now, John. It's been The show's been uh, incredibly uh, prescient in, in, in years uh, before. Do you do this every season where you go get to spend some time with some actual we spies? Yeah, we do. It's, so we park ourselves in a, a club in Georgetown and talk to, like, real spooks. And, you know, people in the intelligence community and, and the State Department and journalists. I'd like to think that what we do on Homeland that's different from what people in the real CIA or in Spy Masters does is that we are trying to give the poetic version. But this year it was all about, you know, the distrust between the administration and, and the intelligence world. And, um, and the intelligence community was suddenly kind of allying itself with journalists. Probably too irreverently say, Carrie worked for me. Okay. Minus the sex, the drugs, and the bipolar thing, that Carrie worked for me. And, and frankly, that's true. I'm touched by the patriotism of Brennan, who I met, who I went into his office. Why did he bring me in his office? Why? Because John Owen Brennan embraces all his conduits. Coming this Christmas, the docu-series. Enjoy the show. So I hope um, you guys liked it. It's on the the Tory says channel, this one. So I hope you guys liked it. Um, that should be part of the, uh, first episode. Um, I thought it would be nice for you guys to have like a more, uh, visual image, uh, on that note of what this documentary trailer showed this docu series showed yesterday I had asked, somebody in one of our state groups to swing by a specific address because something came to my purview and I'm like, maybe I should show it. Right. Maybe I should just show it. I was thinking I could write an article cause I should have my website cleaned up in a little bit. I was thinking of writing an article, but you know, everybody always steals my shit anyway. So I don't care. <laughs> I mean, I told you about this a very long time ago somewhere else. So I was kind of messing around trying to figure out uh, their cover. See, while everyone's focusing on what happened, I already know what happened. I'm trying to figure out how they're looking to survive. See, even though nothing can stop what's coming, 
and how everyone gets purged and everyone get, gets expelled. Every single lie will be revealed. Every single asset will come to the surface. And the more they try to attack those that do good, the more poop, the more shit they throw at righteous people. It only feeds the fire <laughs> and that fire will burn them. So this has already been done, but knowing them, there's always a contingency plan. So I was trying to figure out, because I know we've talked about the origination of the dossier. Obviously, Brennan played a very key part. And no one ever questioned the fact that John McCain had that dossier in his hands. No one. Uh, he had it first with Lindsey Graham. I told you they were they were there when Harry Reid was walking it over to Mother Jones. I look like Jelly Roll right there having a conversation with someone while they were conversing in in the house. They were they were they were at the house. I should say that clearly. So I. Uh, I found their contingency plan. So as you saw in the trailer, foundations are what they use. We have already seen through many examples throughout time and throughout these years of all these foundations, like the Epstein Foundation, the Epstein 12345 Foundation, the Hudson West 12345 Foundations, or companies, whatever you want to call them, or how what was that? What was it called? Town Sports Incorporated. Do you guys remember that they had like a bunch of gyms and then they got bankrupt because they didn't cancel uh, memberships during COVID? Do you guys remember that story? Well, if you, <laughs> after they got bankrupt, after they were bought out, um, town, um, shoot, it's TSI, Town Something Something Sports Incorporated or something. Uh, or Institute, Town Sports Institute or something. TSI is what it's called that had like all these gold gyms and um, planet fitnesses and stuff. Well, <laughs> there's a TSI of this city, TSI of that city, TSI of that city, TSI of that city, TSI. They restructured. See, when they want to survive, these snakes spawn other heads. This is why I said you never attack a demon with heads. You don't chop off a head because it'll just regrow another one. The way to take down your enemy is to take the peripheries. So first you take out the pawns and then you go. I usually like to go for the horses, right? And then the bishops and then the rooks, right? You go, you take out all those that can defend them, right? All of them. And so you kind of knock them out one by one because they respawn, right? So what's really weird is four years in the Trump administration and one foundation was looked at, but not carefully, not carefully enough. I want to introduce you to someone. <laughs> this is so crazy. I just can't believe I'm saying it. And for those patriots, I will keep your name out of it. I'm actually going to watch the videos carefully to see that you're not in the video so I can share it. But what happened was is, you know how 
Hunter Biden had like all these companies, but they were the same thing. And he'd like call them one, two or whatever. <laughs> well, you know, spelling matters. Middle names matter, right? Spellings matter. And sometimes you get lost. You're looking for something. You're like, yeah, that's not it. That's not it. That's not it. That's not it. So let me introduce you to a head that's spawning and how that was the head that helped John Brennan coordinate the dossier. I just did the work of the Mueller investigation and every other idiot out there. Only And, and, and the thing is, it's because they never wanted to solve it. Okay? Let's be clear. Every single person that you looked up to that was, yeah, Trump, yeah, this, oh, this is not, you're fake news, you're nanana. They didn't give a shit about you. They were all playing a role. And you're going to see it. Because when have you ever heard of this person? Meet Claire Sechler Merkel. She is now, well, let her tell you. And I'm thrilled to be elected as president of the Phoenix Committee on Foreign Relations. I look forward to working with all of you to continue to see PCFR fulfill its mission as the premier foreign affairs organization in the Southwest. PCFR has grown tremendously during the last year. In 2020 alone, we hosted over 35 programs with renowned speakers from all over the world cementing our commitment to bring the world closer to home. We are working on some fantastic programming for the fall, and I'm excited to welcome all of you to our new season. Stay tuned and enjoy your summer. <laughs> Stay tuned and enjoy your summer. Council of Foreign Relations. So, um, well, it's called the Committee on Foreign Relations, which is a spinoff of the Council of Foreign Relations. Let me show you the Phoenix chapter. Hold on. There's more. Hold on. So let me introduce you to Phoenix's chapter. So he is here's the Council of Foreign Relations for Phoenix. This is Tina Waddington. You should look her up, those Arizonans. Oh, here she is, Claire Seckler Merkel. Let's look at her bio. Serves as president, uh, senior director of the programs for the McCain Institute at ASU. She leads the McCain Institute Arizona's work in combating human trafficking. <laughs> really? Along with promoting Senator McCain's legacy of human rights and democracy. Stop it. During her 23 years in Washington, D.C., she worked at government with NGOs in our presidential campaigns, including... Chief of Staff and Director of Friends and Family to Mrs. Cindy McCain during Senator McCain's 2008 presidential campaign. You know, and these elections all ping back to the method that they discovered in 2008 as they were testing it with Obama, which, as you know, Senator Obama's shadow groomer and right-hand man was John Owen Brennan. And the minute Senator Obama became President Obama, Brennan exited the government business only to re-enter and emerge as CIA director later. So weird. So let's continue. She served as legislative assistant for foreign affairs and special assistant to U.S. Senator John McCain. <clears throat> she was associate director in the White House for President George Bush and regional director for 
Eastern and Central Europe International Republican Institute, where she was responsible for programming in Albania, Bulgaria, Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, Macedonia, Romania, and Slovakia. She also worked with Congressman Jim Colby on the Bush Quail campaign and National Convention 1988-1989 Inaugural Committee. She did all of these amazing things. Now, let me show you some more. This is where it gets fun. Here is the Arizona State Malikian Center for Russian, Eurasian, and East European Studies. Let's find Claire. Currently serves as Senior Director of Arizona Programs for the McCain Institute International. She's, uh, uh, okay, so she's on the Russian affairs. Wait. Now, here's the weird stuff that happened, okay? I'm just going to... I'm going to try to pull this up. Gosh darn it. It was down, but it isn't. <laughs> it's so weird. So let me, I have to put that up as a picture. So I'll show it to you as a picture. Give me a second. Let me see that I don't have any video of someone there. I want to make sure that there's no person because I don't want to give away the identity. So what's super weird is that there was something weird that popped up on my system. <laughs> oh my gosh. You know, this makes sense as to why Ali Akbar was there. But anyway, on May, in May, a new company was formed. Okay. I told you about this a long time ago on another platform. I just don't remember which one. And so this company emerged, the McCain Institute Foundation. So I, I, at first glance, I'd like all of you, let me check the chat to see something that just doesn't sit right. Do you guys see anything? On the 17th of May, it was incorporated. Do you guys see something wrong with this? Yeah, it has an extra E in it. It's just like, hmm, what's that? What's that? <laughs> Stop it. Spelling matters. But believe it or not, this company was just created, so we can't see the financials. And the company that is actually their officer is a CT Corporation. And CT Corporation is, uh, you know, the um, a registered agent for a lot of dubious companies and big companies. Um, Davis Rick uh, has done AT&T Treasury, blah, 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 blah. Anyway, so it's a trust. So it's like a shell company for the McCain Institute. But this is the McCain Institute Foundation. Allow me to elaborate. Um, so this company is registered at that address. So, you know, we thought, I think it would be a great idea if, you know, we went to that address and took a look, right? Like, what's there? Is there something at that address that we can take a look at? You know, uh, is there something there um, that we should see, right? Like, is there? So, you know, we should, we, should, we should look at this stuff, right? We should look at this stuff. So here we are looking at that stuff. Looks like a great institute, right? Let me mute it because there's nothing but noise. But this is where the McCain Institute Foundation is. I just want to show you the foundation. This is the foundation. We just went to knock to ask the foundation what it does, right? Just... Let's just knock. It's not really a foundation. It's a house. A house that not really a foundation. Not really a foundation. That's so weird because it's a foundation that takes all the money of the McCain Institute. 
So the McCain Institute Foundation misspelled with an E at the end. I mean, I've told you about that before, the misspellings, the addings of E's, specifically the McCain Institute. So instead of it being the McCain Foundation, it's now the McCain Institute Foundation with an E, and it's an address, and it goes to the Merkels. <laughs> Sounds like Angela Merkel too, right? <laughs> so weird. Okay, so let's take a look at that graphic again. So here it is. It was registered on the 17th of May, 2021. <laughs> Out of the blue, the McCain Institute has the McCain Institute Foundation. Sounds like a bunch of hiding some money to me. And it's a... Uh, it, the the funny thing is that the residence is actually owned by a guy named Austin Merkel, which is Claire Sackler Merkel's husband. It's like, it's a house. And it was just registered. So this is a shell company that's hiding money somewhere for the Institute. She is actually on the Council of Foreign Relations, too. So that's what's funny, too. It's, it's like so weird. Um, she is at the McCain Institute. Um, ah, I have her staff. Um, give me a second. Let me open that. Let me open that page. So she's on the regular CFR. And she's at the, oh, no. Oh, gosh, darn it. It was just there. Look what happened. What happened? Wait a minute. How does she own a foundation that she just opened up a couple months ago? And this happened. Wait a minute. It was just there. Wait, what? 404, the content you're looking for might exist. Dang, what happened? She's staffed there. What happened? Did it disappear? Don't worry. Let's see if we can go on the way back so we can pull it up. Damn it. Maybe we should have been more discreet looking, maybe. <laughs> maybe. Let's piece that in there. I was not expecting that they would delete things so quickly. Like, how does that even happen? Thank God for some people archiving things. Isn't that fantastic? Wow. They, like, deleted it. It's like, you have something to hide? Like, what's going on? Here we go. Let's go to the Wayback Machine since they deleted it since. Oh, and you know, the thing is, I wasn't the only one looking at it. The people that actually went to go and see the place um, saw it themselves too. So here was the page. Here's Here she is. Um, <laughs> combating human trafficking. You know, it's like they tell you, it's like opposite day for these people. I'm pro-freedom. I'm really not. I'm pro-human trafficking. You're like combating human trafficking. No, I'm actually pro. I'm this. No, I'm actually this. You see, um, it's, it's like, why did they delete this just now? Why did they delete this? And so this is her at the regular McCain Institute. And this is her foundation, and she added an E to change it rather than call it the McCain Institute Foundation number one, two, three, four, five, like they do. She got a little bit crafty 
so that it doesn't come up because you can never find it. Like if you put it in, it'll auto correct it. You will have to manually put it in to pull this up. And if you search for that foundation, you can't find diddly squat of what it's doing. So mark your calendars that next year in June, we need to see what happened with all the money and what they were doing because there's no article stuff that we can see. We don't know what the hell they're doing. And apparently she's part of the CFR and she works for the McCain Institute. Um, as, as we see here, she is an employee of the McCain Institute. It also says so on the Phoenix Council of Foreign Relations and on Arizona State University's Russian division. Speaking of which, where did Nellie Orr go? to get all that stuff done. You know, you know, they, 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 they underestimate the wives of people and they underestimate the foundations, right? And, you know, a lot of people say, well, well, if they're a part of this group, then ah, pee all over them. You have to understand that entering groups or being part of, I don't know, like the Yale Club or the Council of Foreign Relations or the Atlantic Council is a way that they butter you up to join them. You get unfettered access to people. You can call them. You're on the books. It's like a prestige thing, right? A lot of people can be part of the council. I mean, Tulsi Gabbard was, right? She is. They just erased her name because it wasn't good when she was trying to run and stuff, right? Um, a lot of people, Atlantic Council and stuff, it's more of a prestige thing. They try to butter you up like, look, if you're our friend, you're going to be, you know, in the club, right? So if you're not attached to anything and you can do things, then all good, right? It's all good. So here we are where we see Miss Claire Merkel, cool name who worked on Russian studies, who was actually BFFs with Nellie Orr. You know, Nellie Orr, the one that worked for that company that got paid by the Clintons and Obama for America and, 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 who was in the center of creating this dossier and poor, poor Bruce Orr that just seemed like they were paired up for cover, right? They, they're totally not in love. It's kind of like looking at Mitch McConnell and his wife and you're like, yeah, no. So, you know, <laughs> you're starting to get a little picture right now here. This is where it all began. The McCain Institute. See, because John McCain was a master, hence why we had like the never ending fuck's sake, when is this going to be over funeral, as if he was some king or some god, right? Old guard always gets that. I mean, you know, I didn't see that with Colonel Powell. I mean, I didn't even hear about it. He went out, got buried. Did they just throw an urn at someone? You didn't hear anything about that. There was no decorated things. And I think he did more for the United States <laughs> in, in, in some good ways, in some good ways, and had better standards than John McCain ever did. So, again, he failed. That funeral was the funeral of all of them. They all knew what was on that damn card, but here is their death rattles. Oh, don't worry. They didn't figure it out. We covered it up. They didn't see you, Claire. Let's get our death rattles. So they start creating this so they can funnel out money and they can restructure. They got to survive just a little bit. Just a little bit. Let's survive just a little bit so we can figure out what to do. We've got to get a backup.
Speaking of Arizona, it seems like so much shit has come out of there. Did you know that back in the summer, you know, Ali Akbar was banging Mark Fincham, I think, allegedly, whatever, allegedly banging March Fincham. And like I showed you on their texts, you know, Ali Akbar also had access to Mark Fincham and, you know, his Twitter. And he was very close with Kelly Ward, which makes me kind of think it would be kind of a nasty throuple, you know, just the visual of it, that weird guy with the mustache. I mean, it's always some weird person with a weird mustache and that looks crazy. That would bang something like that. So super weird, right? So Ali Akbar, obviously doing his own Carl Rove thing to keep people in check, is probably banging this weird guy named Mark Fitchum. And in the text that I read to you the other day, uh, it was him saying, oh, we should say McCain said, you know, because McCain popped his cherry, you know, so Ali Akbar loves McCain. Um, he, um, you saw that relationship and it was in Arizona, right? It all came from Arizona there. That's because that's where they started to cook it up. Right, John? <laughs> Pretty sure it was. Because Brennan knows about that. Because, you know, if you actually look, John Brennan was in Arizona too. Not during the, right before the elections. But he was there in 2015 and 2016. I mean, the idea of going to England, to London, to try to harness something was born there. That's number one. <laughs> you know, it's going to be really fun putting together the documents that I'm going to be requesting for Brennan because I, I see the trap that I'm in as the subpoena is, uh, you know, as I'm formulating this with the attorneys, I, I, I'm, I'm thinking if I ask for that, he's going to, divert me to the agency or divert me to the, so I got to ask him stuff that the agency won't have. And I knew Brennan outside of the agency. Well, you know, he always tapped. So I knew who he tapped, where, like I said, he embraces all of his conduits. I mean, I should ask him questions about Ali Akbar too. Maybe I should ask him if he ever had any specific person's 201s on hand for deployment. Just saying. It's, it's, it's going to be pretty interesting as you see how this folds out. I'm trying to see. See, demons <clears throat> have an issue. They work with demons. Today, we had fantastic news. Wexner is stepping down. I mean, he's a freaking relic anyway. And he should be hung for the crimes that he committed. <clears throat> if any of you read my Epstein and Wexner articles, you'll see exactly how deeply embedded it is. That's why it struck me bizarre and odd how a child model for Wexner was, you know, is obviously friends with Ali Akbar. And I showed you that video where he was acting all like, oh, Ali Akbar was sent by God with Padres, right? It's just like fucking crazy. Anyway, that guy Bostic, right? Insane, you know, boy that has like really uncomfortable young teen pictures trying to be a model. He was a model. He even had like this whole bot army to pretend that he had fans. He's not even that good looking, okay? Um, so it was like really weird. Uh, uh, he was in plot against the president. 
that movie that was created. And this woman, Amanda Millis, is incredible. It's so smart. So everything. But, you know, anybody can get hijacked. I mean, that's why when she hears my name, she screams. Um, literally. Like, you know that liberal picture where the girl's like, ah, on her knees? That's her. I kid you not. And she's never been... I'm dead serious. I'm not joking. I'm not joking. This has come from like five different people. You mention my name, she'll start to scream. It's probably because her handler that she doesn't, she probably doesn't even know is her handler is the point of all of this. But anyway, that guy Bostick, right, was there um, involved in that. And I'm like, damn, he had proximity to the president. But then I also found out, okay, so I already knew that in Vegas, at the Trump Hotel in Vegas, that there was some meeting and they had that Juan 07 dude. But there were a lot of people like Sullivan was there, Vandersteel was there, uh, all these people were there, including Daniel Bostick, right? And it's like, and a lot of other people that you wouldn't think all in one room. And then I'm thinking, wait, they all don't run in the same circles. Why are they all collected together? And wait, Sullivan is an operative. He was like a, a Twitter guy, right? A social media guru or something. You mean, the, you mean he was tapped across the river, right? So it, it's all coming into focus now. Because, you know, revelations happen. Do you know what I found out? So remember, guys, when 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 Millie, Gavin, and I went down to D.C., uh, we were, I had my hard drive that they couldn't find because they wouldn't know what to look for. And um, uh, we had the, the, the videos from the sunset, um, the feds. Uh, we had the AFL-CIO documents. And for me, I had the methods of the compromise machinery and also the fact that they deployed the same damn program I had created years ago to be deployed on another nation. And so um, we went down there armed with knowledge and I then we requested Bergie to come down. So I had asked him, dude, write me a little note that says that, you know, this is your expertise and that we need the routers because we needed the routers. And so we went there, but it seemed that every single time we tried to get somewhere, we were blocked. Like we never got the information to the president. Millie never got the information to the president. I didn't get the information. I said that with the straight face to the president, you know, all of that. Because it seemed to be, and this is perfect. Mike Cernovich, <clears throat> I was actually calling people. This through an investigation has uh, surfaced telling them to not uh, listen to what Millie had to say or what I had to say. And so I'm thinking, Mike, I was actually, you know, I, you are the missing piece. See, this is why I say intelligence is like a mosaic. You don't know what piece someone else is missing. So I was missing a Bitcoin wallet. I didn't know who it belonged to, you know, to understand how the fuck that Hatsburger jaw was getting funded. Now I do. Now it makes sense as to why you were in Arizona. Now it makes sense why right before Stop the Steal began, you convened. Now it makes sense why you were thumping him. Maybe it could be because he's got video of you that's compromised, but I'll, I'll let that slide. So now I get it. Coupled with the fact that Roger Stone 
directed Alex Jones to fire Millie Weaver. He directed him. He said, you need to fire her. Then he paid. They paid. Ali Akbar, who's an operative, to attack Millie Weaver and myself. Right. And this is all documented. That's what's stupid. They think they're so untouchable. Wait, what was Jack Posobiec's words? Fuck her. Tori's a peon. No one will ever listen to her. Look, bitch, I can make you mine too. See, when you marry a handler and they give you babies, there's you're locked, right? But this is all going to change because there's documents of tapping people for within the Trump campaign in 2015. And I've said this before, they it's in, infiltration versus invasion. They infiltrated all the people and they were tight about it. They were very tight. They weren't, they were very tight. They didn't have loose lips except for amongst themselves. But here's what happens when you drink that power and you think you're above everyone, your guard's down. And when your guard's down, these peons like me, because you have no idea who the fuck I am. And you know what? Ali Akbar should have listened to Roger Stone when he said, holy shit, we didn't know who she was. Stop talking about her. He actually said that on a video too. Someone told me to stop and leave him alone. Yeah, they did. Because I'm going to take out every single motherfucker that paid you to destroy our nation. And the thing is, while one person is using the other person because they know they can use the other person, that person is also boxing them in. So it's a spy versus spy game. <laughs> and you know who plays those evil, nasty games best? Brennan. Because he's stupid. So what he does is he earwigs. All of them will come down. Cassandra Fairbanks attached herself to Julian Assange. Why the fuck did she go see him? Let me guess right? I thought she had clown phobia. Kind of hard to be scared of yourself. So all of these people were deploying operations against you to gain your trust, giving you your oohs and ahs. I would see on Twitter, losers saying, ah, and people were like, oh my God, what's going on? Like they had inside information. They didn't have shit. Jack Posobiec wrote a whole book on Antifa using the shit that Millie published. Like, let's be straight. And a lot of people are, oh, you know, they go here, there. What have I told you about the president of the United States? What have I told you that a lot of smart people do? You keep your enemies very close, closer than a pacemaker to a heart. That is how close you keep them. You keep them close, you embrace them, you water them. And you know, I use that tactic too. When I see that someone's a threat, right? All I do is show them more love because that's how you get them to stop and redeem themselves. And so really, when we started um, putting out videos in 2019, um, you know, she has great perception, um, probably because she's seen the dirtiest operations ever, which unfortunately she has under an NDA, but that's okay. You know, I can always subpoena my friend and then fuck you. So this is how it goes. When you see someone that is coming to destroy something good, 
You can either attack them head on down the barrel or you take them out from within and you make them your friend. See, all of these people kind of didn't know what to do with me because none of them have the clearance to know what the fuck I am anyway. And that was great. Worked in my advantage. Got to be able to see it all. I already knew that Akbar was hijacking before anyone knew he was hijacking. And you know what? Look at how I hacked his fucking shadow. All I had to do was play that video of Alex Jones saying that Roger Stone started to stop the steal. And suddenly he changed his tune and posted on his social media. Oh, me and Roger Stone did stop the steal. And it's like, none of you saw Stone with him, did you? <laughs> but they know I have the goods and they know I have the text and they need to cover their ass because January 6th is coming. And then you have to question Tucker Carlson thumping Alex Jones and Ali Akbar. So weird. I know all of you thought, but like I said, Tucker, I picked you. And this is how it goes. There were a lot of people that um, have been found to been meddling with things. You know, like, like InfoWars for some reason has been, it's like they're almost like serial defamers. You know, maybe I should get with all the people that have been defamed by InfoWars, like a lot of people, and then file a class action suit against InfoWars for serial defamation, that their only job is to defame people and they get away with it. I mean, that could happen. I think that would be a good thing, right? What do you think? I think it would be good. But see, demons tell you who they are. Let me allow me to show you this old video that I have put together. Pay attention. It's quite interesting if you look at it another time around. Republican campaigns for 11 plus years, the national level, uh, but now you're going public in the last year or so and cutting a large swath around you uh, and, and, and certainly waking folks up. So thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks, Alex. I've been fighting misinformation and rumors on the right since I started my career, you know, you know, from, you know, Obama's a secret Muslim to FEMA camps. To and this document says social security numbers, how to round up the American people. We have articles on, on Infowars.com about it where you can see the subsections where more than 20 times it says American citizens, social security numbers, how to process, how to get our biometrics. Just like we were citizens of Fallujah, Iraq. It goes through all of it. Far off stuff. Now, I also have a history in Minneapolis. Minneapolis uh, was my first GOP convention in 2008. I worked for the convention and for the John McCain campaign as a, a liaison between Secret Service and what we call the Crow's Nest. This is the team that has kind of carte blanche, uh, uh, let's just say, political control over security matters. Anywhere I walked around the convention in our three-person team and I thought there was a security or political threat, I could call Secret Service and get them on in on that person. Now, we dealt with that with Ron Pollers at the time. Megan McCain, daughter of the war criminal, is on The View saying arrest anyone that protested the election and put them in Gitmo. Well, Ali Alexander is one of her main targets. Here's what she had to say. Sorry, I can't. It's hard to. I just. Hold on. Ali Alexander, one of her main targets. You think that Megan doesn't know Ali Akbar? <laughs> A name. You know, you guys, that Middle Eastern special I did, you should find it. I think we actually had that discussion with this amazing guy named Buff Perry that Gavin had introduced me to.
to have a name like Ali Abdul Razak Akbar, you're an asset. I actually found one Akbar, Razak, you know, because it's a certain way that in the um, Islam tradition, uh, Arabs, but mostly Islam, uh, the names are. I actually found a guy that's 78 years old. That was possibly his father that died in Virginia at the age of 78. Uh, I just wanted to throw it out there. That's all right. I, I just think we need to treat. Yeah. And this was a key point. He also worked with John Brennan. Domestic terrorists the way we do actual terrorists. I think we need to consider all, all, all right. possibilities. I'm not against sending these people to get Mo. And that may sound extreme. These are domestic terrorists who attacked our own republic. They should be treated the same way we treat Al-Qaeda. It's her father that famously funded Al-Qaeda, was photographed with the heads of them and Al-Nusra in Syria just five years ago. Her father is now in hell. But Ali Alexander joins us. He's ready for Gitmo in his orange jumpsuit right now. Yeah, because he's going to go there. He's going to go there. He's going to be locked up at some point. He's going to be locked up. They should all go to the brig, every single one of you. The only way we fix this is by one, understanding how they do it, hence the docu-series, and two, identifying every single one of them. Every single one. And you know what? The only way to beat lies is to maintain to the truth. And the only way you maintain to the truth is by doing just that. Don't embellish, right? Don't evade. If you don't want to answer, truthfully, just say, I don't want to answer. And that's it. That's how you get to the core of it. Now, there's something that you guys need to understand. What is the fog of war? There are 11 lessons from life of from the life of Robert McNamara. I think we should visit that because it's a quite interesting perspective. From a nasty little war to a nasty middle-sized war. The Vietnamese are still doing most of the fighting and most of the dying. But week after week, American casualty figures go up. America wins the wars that she undertakes. Make no mistake about it. And we have declared war on tyranny and aggression. If this little nation goes down the drain and can't maintain her independence, ask yourself what's going to happen to all the other little nations. I am more and more convinced that we ought to think of some action other than military action as the only program here. But I think if we do that by itself, it's suicide. I think pushing out 300,000, 400,000 Americans out there without being able to guarantee what it will lead to is a terrible risk and a terrible problem. Let me go back one moment. In the Cuban Missile Crisis, at the end, I think we did put ourselves in the skin of the Soviets. In the case of Vietnam, we didn't know them well enough to empathize. And there was total misunderstanding as a result. They believed that we had simply replaced the French as a colonial power, and we were seeking to subject South and North Vietnam to our colonial interests, which was absolutely absurd. And we, we, we saw Vietnam as an element of the Cold War, not what they saw it as, a civil war. There aren't many examples in which you bring two former enemies together at the highest levels and discuss 
what might have been. I formed the hypothesis that each of us could have achieved our objectives without the terrible loss of life. And I wanted to test that by going to Vietnam. The former foreign minister of Vietnam, a wonderful man named Thua, said, you're totally wrong. We were fighting for our independence. You were fighting to enslave us. We almost came to blows. That was noon on the first day. Do you mean to say it was not a tragedy for you when you lost 3,400,000 Vietnamese killed, which on our population base is the equivalent of 27 million Americans? What did you accomplish? You didn't get any more than we were willing to give you at the beginning of the war. You could have had the whole damn thing, independence, unification. Mr. McMurray, you must never have read a history book. If you'd had, you'd know we weren't pawns of the Chinese or the Russians. McNamara, didn't you know that? Don't you understand that we have been fighting the Chinese for a thousand years? We were fighting for our independence and we would fight to the last man and we were determined to do so. And no amount of bombing, no amount of US pressure would ever have stopped us. What makes us omniscient? Have we a record of omniscience? We are the strongest nation in the world today. I do not believe we should ever apply that economic, political, or military power unilaterally. If we had followed that rule, in Vietnam, we wouldn't have been there. None of our allies supported us. Not Japan, not Germany, not Britain or France. If we can't persuade nations with comparable values of the merit of our cause, we'd better re-examine our reasoning. Americans suffered their heaviest casualties of the war in Vietnam last week. 543 killed in action. Another 1,247 were wounded and hospitalized. The deaths raised the U.S. toll in the war so far to 18,239. South Vietnamese put their losses for the week at 522 killed. Communist losses were not reported. Contributing to those record casualties has been the steady communist bombardment of the Marine outpost at Khe Sanh. There, the North Vietnamese have been tightening their ring around the Square Mile Division. The military expects a full-scale assault. To what extent did you feel that you were the author of stuff or that you were an instrument of things outside of your control? Well, I don't think I felt either. Uh, I just felt that I was serving at the request of a president who had been elected by the American people. And it was my responsibility to try to help him uh, to carry out the office as he believed was in the interest of our people. What is morally appropriate in a wartime environment? Let me give you an illustration. While I was secretary, we used what's called Agent Orange in Vietnam, a chemical that strips leaves off of trees. 
after the war has claimed that that was a toxic chemical and it killed many individuals, soldiers and civilians exposed to it. Were those who issued the approval to use Agent Orange criminals, were they committing a crime against humanity? Let's look at the law. Now, what kind of a law do we have that says these chemicals are acceptable for use in war and these chemicals are not? We don't have clear definitions of that kind. I never in the world would have authorized an illegal action. I'm not really sure I authorized Agent Orange. I don't remember it, but it certainly occurred. The use of it occurred while I was secretary. Norman Morrison was a Quaker. He was opposed to war, the violence war, the killing. He came to the Pentagon, doused himself with gasoline, burned himself to death below my office. He held a child in his arms, his daughter, passersby. Well, that was interesting, wasn't it? Those were the lessons, I guess, the lessons that you should see for now. But one thing that we should always remember is that we should be fighting every single day for everything we have. Because if you don't, it is taken away from you. And the only way to maintain freedom, the only people that are due freedom, are people that don't abide by the rules of the Hotel California. Because you can check in, but you can never leave. Let's take a break. Forget. 
the Hotel California. The Hotel California. What does that mean? See, music tells you a lot more than words sometimes and a lot more than reading. A lot of people don't like to read anyway these days. They never read. And then when they reread things, they're like, how did I miss that? And it's like, well, because people don't read. And that's what sucks. And people don't listen. And, I, and you're going to say, well, Tori, if everyone's playing their part, here's the thing. In 2016, nobody wanted Hillary Clinton. They knew it was her turn. They knew who was backing her. But they also knew that she was insatiable and not someone that you want to be on top. No matter how much blackmail you had on her, she would crush you because you had no idea. I remember Eve was so deceptive. They didn't want Hillary but they didn't want President Trump. They did not want him. They did not want him at all. And everyone was like, we can't have him because he's going to destroy everything that has been built. I've told you about the two titans fighting on top of you, and you are collateral damage. So they all played a role. They all gained your trust on one end. They all embraced you, and they all pretended to fight. One man in a pit of snakes, in a pit of snakes, like the biggest, deepest pit of snakes. One man. I don't even know how to express how bad it was for him. Like I said so many times, I would think every morning when he'd wake up, he'd have to think twice before he drank from that glass of water next to his bed. Because that's how much they wanted to take him out. They surrounded him with people that would say just enough to make him think that they were on his side. They would surround him with people that were there simply to take him down. Huh? But that wasn't enough. They needed to keep the people subdued. So the sirens sang huh? with instruments. But now it sounds like screechy instruments. See, not everyone was bad. This one was. She was State Department. You think the CIA is bad? They're not all bad. But the State Department is. They are the CIA's arm. Take a listen. Up on this uh, Minnesota news, um, given the fact that this individual uh, ex began experiencing symptoms on November 22nd, tested positive on November 24th, that would suggest that there's been community spread of this variant for at least the last 10 days within the United States. Is that the White House's assessment? And to what extent does that change your understanding and your approach uh, to combating this new variant? Well, I think we need to be very careful from the government and, and of course, from the media as well about how we assess and attribute um, community spread or what has happened here. Um, there is, uh, there was information put out by the Minnesota Public Health Department. I would just reiterate a couple of the components of that. Many of you may have seen it, but in case you haven't, uh, there's an individual, uh, an adult male, a resident of Hennepin County. Uh, he had been vaccinated. The person developed mild symptoms, as you noted, on November 22nd and sought uh, COVID-19 testing on November 
4th. The person's symptoms have resolved. The person spoke with the Minnesota Public Health Department investigators and reported traveling to New York City and attending uh, the anime New York City 2021 convention at the Javits Center from the 19th through the 21st. Any contact tracing, which is imperative and important, would be done through the CDC and public health officials as well. Uh, but um, I would also note that the Minnesota Public Health Department will do a press conference at noon, and we would expect they'd have additional information. Important question about contact tracing and how and what we anticipate. I just want to really rely on the public health officials to speak to that. And are you aware of any other cases of the Omicron variant in the United States at the moment other than the Minnesota case and the California case? We have been very transparent. I would, I think, hopefully you would all agree about providing that information as it becomes available. It typically comes through public health departments. They often provide it themselves first, uh, but we are in close touch every single day with state and local public health authorities. So not that I'm aware of, obviously, again, typically rises through public health officials. I would note, as this Dr. Fauci has said over the course of the last week, every single day, we do, even the restrictions we put in place was not going to prevent this variant from coming here. It would just slow. Uh, that was the objective. So we do anticipate there will be more cases and we know that will be the case. And that's why we're focused on doing everything we can to fight the virus and the variant. This big picture here. Um, President Biden has repeatedly promised to shut down this virus. He has talked about wanting to end the pandemic. Is that still possible? Does he still believe that that is possible or are we starting to shift now, especially with the rise of this variant? to perhaps accepting that we need to live with COVID for years to come? Well, first I would say there's a lot we don't know about the variant yet, and that is challenging and frustrating. Uh, I understand for Americans, for all of you, uh, and we want to give the space and time uh, for the public health officials who are working 24-7 uh, to assess uh, and provide guidance on it. Uh, there are a range of options, as Dr. Fauci has spoken to and our medical experts have spoken to. Uh, it could be uh, less uh, deadly. It could be more. We don't know. So I just want to say that we, we, we are, that is the next step in this process. Uh, the president, and you'll hear him speak to this today, continues to believe that uh, if we build on uh, the bold steps that we've taken to date, if we continue to make the vaccines more accessible, to increase testing, increase masking, we can return uh, to uh, a more a version of normal in this country. That's what everybody wants and everybody would like to see. Go ahead. Uh, back on the question uh, about these reimbursements for rapid testing, yeah. as anyone who's tried this knows, it can be kind of a cumbersome process. So why not just uh, try and subsidize the price of these tests as some of the other countries have done? Uh, well, first, I would say that um, we're approaching it a little differently from some other countries. I know this isn't exactly what you asked, but we see the FDA process of reviewing and evaluating the efficacy and effectiveness of tests as the gold standard. Uh, that uh, is, is a high bar uh, in our view, um, and that's important to abide by that. Uh, our medical team looked at a range of options. We want to make testing more available and more accessible to people across the country. There are four times more tests available now than there were in the summer. We will continue to build on that. So this is a step that was uh, our team agreed was implementable and possible to do now, and we will continue to build on it. And on the issue of government funding, yesterday you said you were confident that we won't see a shutdown. You know, we know the House is acting today, but a small group of Senate Republicans are still objecting. Do you still have that same level of confidence today that we won't see a shutdown? Well, the, the good news uh, that I think you all saw today, and we just put out a, um, a SAP or a Statement of Administration Policy, you know how we feel about acronyms around here, um, supporting the 
um, a swift passage of HR 6119, which was a, basically a, a deal struck this morning. Uh, we still feel that there's time for lawmakers to set aside reckless and irresponsible political games and enact the short-term continuing resolution that would fund the government through early next year and allow for time for a full year uh, uh, budget agreement, which is obviously our overarching objective. So there is still time to do that. Uh, and of course, it's up to Congress to do that. But uh, we, we are confident uh, they will take steps to keep the government open. There is still time, but not a lot of time. So have you started to take steps to prepare for a possible shutdown, even if it is, you know, just one that lasts through the weekend? Sure. So there are steps that are taken by um, uh, by uh, OMB, uh, our budget team, uh, that are standard. And they're not t steps taken out of an assessment or evaluation of what's possible or the legislative uh, uh, possibilities. Uh, they typically start engaging with agencies about a week in advance of any uh, scheduled timeline for government funding. Uh, they did that as of last Friday. Uh, they had another uh, scheduled uh, time to engage with agencies uh, today. Uh, so that is standard operating procedure, uh, and that's underway. Uh, but again, our objective is, of course, to prevent uh, the government shutdown. We are, uh, and, and of course, that's up to Congress to get done. One quick immigration question. Uh, the administration announced today that the U.S. and Mexico have reached a deal to restart the Remain in Mexico program um, that was started under President Trump. This is something that your administration is fighting in court. Uh, the president you know, has railed against this policy. He's called it dangerous, inhumane, saying it goes against everything we stand for as a nation. Just wondering if you can reflect on how he feels about having now to see this uh, move forward now. Well, as you noted, Mary, Secretary Mayorkas also and the president uh, have repeatedly said that this program is has endemic flaws. It imposed it has imposed unjustifiable human costs, pulled resources and personnel away from other priority efforts and failed to address the root causes of irregular, irregular migration. Deeply flawed. Um, that's why we stopped enrolling individuals in the program on day one and subsequently issued a memorandum in June uh, terminating the program. Um, and Secretary Mayorkas issued another memorandum announcing and explaining his decision to terminate the program once again in October. Uh, as you noted, though, uh, we are in a situation where we're under a court uh, abiding by uh, court ruling. Uh, and so that is what we are working to implement at this point in time. There are some key changes and exemptions the Department of Homeland Security uh, announced this morning and can speak to, uh, but uh, our, our view of the program has not changed. We're working to implement under the court uh, order. Go ahead. Thanks. Another testing question. Sure. So you said you want to make testing as affordable and available as possible. So in addition to uh, requiring insurers to cover at-home tests, is the administration doing anything to make in-person PCR tests more widely available, more affordable? Because as anyone who has had to get a PCR test, let alone a rapid PCR test, knows it can be hard to find one and expensive, and, and especially getting that quick test is very, very hard. Sure. Part of the plan the president is announcing is free tests, about 50 million tests that we're going to make available at places like rural clinics, community health centers, uh, to ensure they're broadly available uh, in a range of places where people can go and uh, access them. Uh, and again, you know, this is part of our effort to build on what we've already done to date. We made $3 billion worth of investments to accelerate the production of rapid tests and expand capacity. When president took office, there were zero at-home tests available. Now there are eight. Uh, this supply will quadruple, this supply will quadruple this month from where we were at this in the, in the summer. And we're going to continue to build on this. So this is a step to make it uh, more affordable for people at home, but to also make them more widely available at a range of locations, community health centers, rural health clinics, so that people can go and find them.
Um, and on abortion, based on what we heard at the Supreme Court yesterday, is the White House concerned that this Supreme Court is about to overturn Roe versus Wade? And what, if anything, are you doing to prepare for that possibility? Well, I'm not going to make an assessment of how the Supreme Court will rule. But what I will say is that the president is committed to working with Congress to codify the constitutional right to safe and legal abortion as protected by Roe. Uh, he's announced his strong support for passage of the Women's Health Protection Act, urges Congress to pass it. Uh, and, and again, I would reiterate uh, something I conveyed yesterday, that he believes that Mississippi's law blatantly violates women's constitutional rights to safe and legal abortion. Every American deserves access to health care, including reproductive health care. Uh, we're not going to predetermine how the Supreme Court will rule, but he supports codifying Roe uh, through Congress. That's something that they can act to do. You think that's a real possibility? There is a bill currently, the Women's Health Protection Act, uh, and he urges Congress to pass it. Hey, I'm Rob Finnerty. They are desperate to kill babies, desperate to kill babies. You know, when I posted yesterday, hey, Rose was, Roe versus Wade, we're going to save the children. Wait till you see what happens in 2022. They are going to foam at the mouth. And it just started on the first of the month. Everything is happening. A lot of resignations. A lot of everything's happening. It's so bizarre, right? So bizarre. But that's the way it is. When you're evil, when you are evil, you have no leg to stand on. I don't care what you say. You have zero leg to stand on. Therefore, you get what you deserve. And now we are going to save all the babies that should be, would be. That's how it is. That is how it is. So incredible. So... Where is this all going? We're saving children. People are resigning. People are kind of feeling it. They're just like, oh, man, you know, how is this all happening? How is it all working out in our favor when we're losing all our rights? Well, you're not losing them. You're gaining them yourself. And this is how you win, by actually working for your rights. Everything that has happened, everything that has happened, the court cases, the changes in stances by these losers, everything that has happened is because of you. You stood up for what's right. You stood up for yourself and you continue to do so. There's only so much that one man or one team can do because they can't fight a war for a population of 300 million without any assistance. You are the reason this is happening. And I hope you can see it. I really hope you can see it. Because you can see through most of the things that have happened. For example, Jesse Smollett. Everyone was devastated. So this guy lies, he does this, he does that. He's in a bit of a pickle. It doesn't look good for him. Let me show you what happened during his trial, let me, let me, this is, this is quite interesting. Here we go. So one of the brothers that he hired testified. I don't know if you guys saw this, but this is pretty good. 
Well, Judy Bola Ojedero took the stand about two o'clock this afternoon. He has been on the witness stand ever since, being questioned by prosecutors, giving them detail by detail of exactly what Jesse Smollett asked the brothers to do. Now, this Bola Ojedero is definitely a key witness on whether he is believed or not, could definitely make or break the case against Smollett. As the star witness, Amabola Oshindero is testifying against Jesse Smollett, yet at one time, he and the actor were very good friends. So good, Oshindero told jurors, quote, I would call him a brother. The two met on the set of the TV show Empire, where Smollett had a leading role, and Oshindero was an extra and a stand-in. In January 2019, Ocean Vero said he received a text from Smollett to meet him at the Cinespace studio for a meeting. They went for a drive. Smollett was upset the studio wasn't taking hate mail Smollett received seriously. Ocean Vero testified, quote, he proceeded to tell me that he wanted me to beat him up. I was confused. I was just puzzled. And then he explained that he wanted me to fake beat him up. Oshindero says he agreed to the plan because he felt indebted to Smollett for getting him a stand-in role on Empire. The plan proceeded with the help of Oshindero's older brother, Ola. During a dry run of the fake attack, Oshindero told jurors Smollett picked the exact Streeterville location where he wanted the attack to occur. Oshindero says his good friend pointed to a surveillance camera and said he wanted to use the footage of the attack for the media. Earlier today, a Chicago police detective testified Smollett was upset when he found out the attack was never caught on tape. Oshandera also told jurors that it was Smollett's idea to have one of the brothers yell out racial and homophobic slurs during the alleged attack. Now, Oshandera is still on the stand at this hour and eventually expect a very tough cross-examination from the defense as they will go after his character. Mm, go after his character. <laughs> of course they will. When they have nothing to say on facts, they always go after character. Well, there's more. Let me find this. The defense attorney, obviously, after they saw that he did a dry run, you know, to test the whole plan out, wrote himself letters. People testified. The police found camera footage of him doing a dry run of it the day before, right? So he's totally busted. Here's what his defense attorney tried to do. Good afternoon. I'm Erica Sargent. And I'm Brad Edwards. Breaking news now. Courtroom drama in the Jesse Smollett trial. Tears and calls for a mistrial. CBS 2's Charlie Damar was in the courtroom for all of the action today. Charlie. Brad and Erica, a wild few moments in the courtroom. And it happened during a sidebar conversation with attorneys from both sides and Judge James Lynn, who is the judge in the Jesse Smollett trial. One of Smollett's attorneys, Tamara Walker, she asked for a mistrial in this case because of a comment that Judge Lynn made. And then she accused Judge Lynn of physically lunging at her in the courtroom. Now, Judge Lynn denied those accusations, and he also denied that motion for a mistrial, but some chaotic moments uh, in the courtroom. Now, as for the trial, what's going on during testimony? Uh, the prosecutor spent most of the day still questioning their star witnesses, the Osindaro brothers. Jesse Smollett gave a small fist bump as he walked into court, charged with lying to police and staging his own hate attack. Friends still standing by his side. He has maintained his humanity, his dignity, and I think that it's an important thing for all of us to uh, recognize that this is an attack on the character 
Star witness Abel Osandaro started the day on the receiving end of an intense line of questioning by Smollett's attorneys. They asked, when did you and Jussie start dating? What Osandaro replied, we were never dating. Attorneys then asked, were you using the sexual tension between you to progress your acting career? To which Abel said, I didn't know there was sexual tension. Smollett is accused of hiring Abel and his brother Ola to carry out a racist and homophobic attack. Testimony revealed Smollett wanted to use the security video of the incident for publicity, but the actual attack was never caught on camera. We spoke to Abel before he testified. You nervous at all? Nervous? No. When you got the truth on your side, you don't have to be nervous. Ola also testified today, telling the jury that Jussie wanted to be splashed with gasoline, but Ola felt that was too extreme and used bleach instead. I didn't think it was safe, he said on the stand. And another attorney for Smollett also accused the judge of snarling and making faces uh, throughout the testimony. So clearly some chaos uh, throughout this trial in the courtroom. Uh, the jury is expected to have this case by Monday. Reporting live from the Layton Criminal Courthouse, Charlie DeMar, CBS 2 News. Snarling and wanting to toss the case out? Are you kidding me? Is that all she's got? He did a rehearsal, right? He paid them. They try to say that he was maybe a scorned lover. That shit didn't work. The cops had you on footage, dude. They had you on footage. Look, here is a video of how he became victim <laughs> to suspect. Uh, now to critical testimony in the Jesse Smollett trial. The lead detective testifying today about how his investigation took a surprising turn. CBS 2's Charlie DeMar has been covering this story for years. He was in the courtroom today, joins us now live. Charlie, the detective said there was no rush to judgment in this case. Brett and Erica, yeah, a rush to judgment. That was Jesse Smollett's uh, attorneys. Uh, that was their defense yesterday, that this whole case was a rush to judgment. The lead detective said this case was anything but. He said it was good police work. He walked the jury through the evidence of this case step by step from start to finish from when Jesse Smollett was a victim to the time he was a suspect. Detective Michael Thies, the lead detective on the Jussie Smollett case, says about 25 Chicago police officers spent more than 3,000 hours and collected 1,500 hours of surveillance video to help solve the vicious hate crime actor Jussie Smollett reported January 29, 2019, making it clear that Smollett was the victim at first. Detective Thies told the jury, this was horrible. The crime was a hate crime. There was a noose. There was bleach. The mayor on down, everybody wanted answers. They wanted to know what happened. Police were looking for the men in this grainy video as the possible suspects, but detectives didn't know who they were. Then, a major break in the case. Was it Grandma Illinois? Brothers Abel and Ola Osandaro were identified from this rideshare video they took the night of the attack. I'm pissed off. Smollett went on national TV and said he was positive the men in the surveillance video were his attackers. Detectives thought they solved the case. I don't have any doubt in my mind that that's them. Once in custody, the brothers told investigators it was all a hoax. Police then spent days trying to determine if the brother's story added up. Thies said, at the end of the investigation, we determined the alleged hate crime was actually a staged event and the hate crime did not occur. From the rope the brothers purchased at the Crafty Beaver, a hardware store near their family home, to the red hats and ski masks purchased with the $100 bill Smollett allegedly gave them to buy the supplies, 
to video of Smollett's car supposedly doing a dry run of the attack. Detective Thies says the evidence showed that Smollett orchestrated the attack. Smollett faces six disorderly conduct charges for staging and reporting a fake hate crime. His brother Jojo read a brief statement in support of his brother before court Tuesday. I just want to express that it has been incredibly painful as his family to watch someone you love be accused of something they did not do. And during cross-examination, Jesse Smollett's attorneys, they brought up some um, what they considered homophobic social media from one of the brothers. Uh, they did ask that lead detective. The lead detective has been on the stand for much of the day. Uh, Judge Lynn expects court again to go to about 7 o'clock tonight again. We are live from the Layton Criminal Courthouse. Charlie DeMar, CBS2 News. And to see all of Charlie's extensive reporting on the Smollett case, download the CBS Chicago app wherever you get your apps. Now think about it. The right-wing media lately has been <sighs> silencing a lot of things. And you know, a lot of people um, have been knocked off platforms. You know, if you do live shows, you get knocked off. If you, you know, they take you off of everything. I've been banned on anything that actually matters. I'm not allowed to transact electronically for money. Um, YouTube, I'm only there because I know how to use digital camouflage. I make sure that whatever video I upload, I can, you know, maintain that it goes through their checks. I'm not being monetized. If I'm uploading something to save it, I'll make sure it's unlisted. So that way they can't ding me. There are measures that you can take to maintain your presence on the platform. Now, Twitch is different. Everybody and their mother has been begging Bezos to knock me off. If you see how many articles they put out, you need to take her off. Again, what people don't see is that Bezos is not one of them. He bullied his way into power. Power is either drawn from uh, creating something that everybody wants and therefore giving you immense riches and access or authority that you just nab from someone. So Bezos is smart because he's like, look, if these people get taken out, I'm still going to survive because I didn't succumb to whatever they told me to do. If these people maintain, I'm going to grow and I'm going to be so big, they can't touch me. See, this is how it works, right? This is why President Trump told him when his wife divorced him, be careful, be very, very careful. Now, a lot of people say Bezos doesn't own Amazon. No, he stepped down as CEO doesn't mean he doesn't own it, right? Being your CEO of your company doesn't mean you don't own it, right? So he's not one of them. He was a fluke. He was something they didn't expect. He was a left winger because he came from a taxi driver. He had no grooming, he had no access, and they haven't taken him out because he had a handler as a wife that, you know, <laughs> right? Steve Jobs, visionary, they took him out. I mean, they all get cancer in silence, don't they? All of them. All of them. No one's paying attention to what Cook's doing. No one's paying attention to all of that. So again, Amazon is a completely different monster that is difficult for them to access only because he towed the line quite well. He was smart. He was smart. He was very smart. 
So I guess, you know, there has been censorship, but that is, you know, in those areas, I guess, in Amazon and whatever, but you had to do something like maybe make a threat or, you know, these weird people that talk about freedom, but then they hate Jews and this and that, and they talk so much crap. It's like, come on, man, are you even listening to yourself? It sounds disgusting, right? It really does sound disgusting. So, you know, another thing that I've been kind of looking around for is a guy named Jerome Corsi. Jerome Corsi was a very interesting left field entry. And what's really weird is that on November 28th, 2018, a barrage of everything happened because Mueller decided that he's going to probe him. And so, um, I wanted you guys to be introduced to something in retrospect, in retrospect. This is not me. I never endorse anyone. I'm just asking questions of where he is because I never tell you what to think. You think yourself. I could tell you what my opinion is, but sometimes I don't. I'll just let everything tell its own story. In an interview with the Wall Street Journal, right-wing conspiracy theorist Jerome Corsi says he told a federal grand jury that he helped create a cover story for longtime Trump advisor Roger Stone. Special counsel gave me immunity on this testimony. He says the cover story aimed to explain a tweet written by Stone on August 21st, 2016, saying, Trust me, it will soon the Podesta's time in the barrel. Weeks later, WikiLeaks would release thousands of emails hacked from Clinton campaign chairman John Podesta's account, bringing scrutiny to Stone's tweet. Stone has said that his tweet was not related to Podesta's emails, but instead was inspired by this. In mid-August, Jerry Corsi pointed out to me various public locations on the internet where you could find documentation of the Podesta brothers' cozy business relations with the Russians tight with Vladimir Putin. And I tweeted it. But Corsi says Stone didn't ask him to do the research until August 30th. I really started the research on the morning of August 31st, my birthday, at the request of Roger. What I construct and testify to to the grand jury was I believed I was creating a cover story for Roger because Roger wanted to explain this tweet about the Podesta is going to be in the barrel. You're saying nine days later, He's asking, he wanted you to he wanted come up to, with a cover story. Yes. Is that true? At the best of my recollection, yes. Podesta's emails hadn't even been leaked. I don't, I I don't, you, if you it. want to know what Roger's thinking, you're going to have to ask Roger. That's a lot of work to do. Did Roger pay you for that work? No, I never got paid by Roger to do this work. Stone, for his part, says Corsi is lying because he's being squeezed by special counsel Robert Mueller's prosecutors. Corsi's claim of a cover story, he says, is devoid of logic because his tweet about the Podestas didn't receive attention until October, after John Podesta's emails were leaked. The special counsel's office declined to comment. On Monday, Corsi said he had refused a plea deal offered by Mueller's team. I don't know what they're going to do, but I rejected their plea agreement, and they're not happy about it, so they'll probably indict me now. That's up to them. So <clears throat> he said that in August of 2016, somewhere on the Internet, you could find Podesta's emails. Now... Let me see if I can find that. I need to find that. 
I'm gonna hold on, guys. This is gonna be just, just you know, it's like, come on, I gotta sign in. Hold on, hold on, guys. I gotta sign in, gotta find this. Let me just find this and, um, <laughs> sorry, give me a second. All right, I gotta start this, but I need to mute it. Because I gotta go to the right place. <clears throat> We're gonna watch a little bit of um, something old that never gets old. Because I think it's coming to surface now. It was, you know, you had to have patience. You need patience sometimes, right? Patience. Patience. People lack patience. People lack patience. Let's go down memory lane. Let me see where it is. Let me find the right one. Oh no, I look crazy there. Is it here? Uh, I'm trying to find the one where. No database. Data, kind of like the Let predecessor. Me Let me mute it while I'm going through it. There's a specific clip that Gavin had slotted in here. See, we talked about elections too, didn't we? Give me a second. She's weird. There it is. Take a listen. He's a jackass. So we're talking about at the time, you know, John that would just McCain. make Pence in charge. Well, which Pence? <laughs> you think John McCain would have rather had Pence in charge? You think Lindsey Graham would rather have Pence? Lindsey Graham was so frustrated with Trump. Trump, he took his phone and smashed it on YouTube because Trump gave out his phone number. Trump drove that man crazy. Trump got in the way of the big game. A contest between contractors and subcontractors over who gets first dibs on defense, security, and tech contracts. Mueller, since uh, I think it was like August of 2016, was well aware that I had in my possessions portions of the DNC mirrored server. In uh, what? Wait, I just want to play that again. Just let me just... This is the OG Shadowgate. Let's just listen to it again. First dibs on defense, security, and tech contracts. Mueller, since uh, I think it was like August of 2016, was well aware that I had in my possessions portions of the DNC mirrored server in February and March. Did you know that? I did not. And when my private life was collapsing the same exact day not without a minute of separation i was served by barack hussein obama's attorney three years later to come and talk about it did you know that I did not know that either they went as hard as they could stone the same thing they went with nothing like look Mueller called him in right for these emails and talking about wikileaks when i had actual portions of the DNC. Like, even Mueller knew I had it. Why did Mueller never call me back when I went to him and told him about all this information and spoke to him for 15 minutes? Every one of these people are so corrupt. It's not even funny. The Swamp already knew in August of 2016 that the information was compromised by people. And they knew what type of people had accessed that information. But they didn't know who... Some people will say, well, maybe they're investigating. And how can you investigate it if you don't ever call me back and you don't ever really, because there's a lot of things that I need to be able to explain to them that I can't say outside of a classified environment. 
So they're not even, if they are investigating it, they certainly aren't doing it with all the information. Stop. 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 We all know it was a fix. Did the DOJ outsource the Mueller investigation to CGI? Well, yes, they did. So I'll tell you what happened. So I actually, uh, for my listeners on air, I interviewed former attorney, acting attorney general Whitaker. I want to ask you something. You were chief of staff for um, Jeff Sessions. So there's obviously contracts that are signed, like, you know, how you hire vendors. I wanted to know why during the Mueller probe, we spent over $40 million in waste management to a Canadian company that works with Canadian intelligence. Yeah. Sounds like paper shredding. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's, you know, this is the thing we, we need watchdogs and something I did before I came to Washington DC was run a watchdog group that asked these types of questions and to make sure that, that like, you know, kind of there's not, um, you know, waste, fraud, and abuse. So why is our Department of Justice outsourcing to Canadian intelligence companies access to the Mueller investigation? That definitely seems improper. Now, this Canadian company, how much were they paying? And were they paying them with tax dollars? We have to ask ourselves, why would we use federal tax dollars and upwards of $40 million, to have them do paper shredding for Mueller? and administrative tasks and emptying garbage cans. That sounds like a leaking opportunity. That sounds like, why are we getting foreign nationals involved in an investigation that we're supposedly investigating the president, the sitting president of the United States? From CGI's involvement in the passport fiasco in 2008 to CGI involved in the Mueller investigation, we see how contractors have the ability to both perform and clean up their own dirty work. I think it's about time people understand what happened. And I've made it no secret that I know what happened. So, Seth... Okay, we're not getting into that. But what I wanted to show you was, see, it kind of made sense with what Corsi said, you know, that he already had it in 2016. And then he asked Corsi to find it because he couldn't find it because we had removed it because we were like, shit, we've got part of this DNC server that had emails and we were kind of leaking them. Um, so I don't know where he may have gotten it or how he may have been involved, but I can tell you I had it and they all knew because I told them I had it. I actually sent it to Jeff Sessions and acting attorney general Whitaker in two different ways. And this is why, uh, you know, if you watch Shadowgate, I have it on my rumble account. I put it on there so you can watch it like straight. Um, <laughs> you know, it was already there. I made it clear. I actually had portions of the DNC server and they knew I had it in August of 2016. <laughs> so it's like, okay, so that's making sense, right? There's me on Twitter just like, oh, that's interesting. Oh, that's interesting. You know, and a lot of people give a lot of shit to Whitaker. How did you not know? He's not, he was the chief of staff for Sessions, right? He was then acting attorney general. There's a career in there for over 20 years, which uh, during that interview, he gave me the guy's name, who is responsible on handing out those contracts. You would expect that someone does their job. You can't micromanage anyone. There's no oversight, like he said.
So he can't be held responsible. And the thing is, the system has been created that way. So that way shit like this can happen. I mean, why would you have Canadian intelligence paper shredding? Like what the, like seriously. And CGI was under the purview of Rod Rosenstein and Brennan. And it's like, okay, just give them access to just manufacture and get rid of stuff. It's so weird. So what Corsi said and, you know, what, what, what the truth was that Roger Stone had seen them, you know, he probably couldn't recreate it or excuse how he found it. Cause they'll be like, well, what are you doing on those sites? Or how did you know to get on there? And I guarantee you, he didn't get on there himself because there were so many people involved after, you know, when you see a stream of data that makes so much noise there's no freaking way someone that understands the um, the uh, the network, right? You can feel the disturbance in the network. And I want you guys to just envision, you know, just like a wave of, you know, things moving. And suddenly there's a big spike and it maintains kind of like a signal. You're just like, whoa, what's that? So there I am with friends, <laughs> nerd friends. That are all over the world. Some are, you know, in Antarctica, some are in South Korea, some are, and they're all Americans, all scientists and nerds. And, you know, they're all doing their thing. And we're all talking about string theory. And we're like, yo, what's this? There's a disturbance in the force. Like, you know, like the Jedi guys. And that's where we tapped into whatever was being uploaded. And that's basically how you find things. When people are transferring things, you can see it. So there is traffic. That's why they call it internet traffic. They take up a lot of the bandwidth in the back end. So, you know, kind of aligns <laughs> with what later came out, <laughs> what Corsi said. So it was like, okay, sure. Here's, Something else he said. This is why I'm interested to know. Where is he? Be justice, or would it be its opposite? Jerome Corsi would know firsthand, and he joins us tonight. Mr. Corsi, thank you very much for coming on. Uh, my pleasure, Tucker. Thank you. So before, and you're not under oath, and so our viewers will have to assess the accuracy of what you say. But before we get to your interaction with the Mueller investigation, just the basics. Have you ever had contact with Julian Assange? No, I, I've never met Julian Assange. I've never spoken with him. I've never emailed him. I've had no contact with Julian Assange whatsoever. Have you ever had contact with Russian intelligence or subverted, knowingly subverted, the interests of your own country? Uh, absolutely not. Uh, I've been a loyal American. I have no contacts with Russian intelligence. I have no business interests in Russia. I have nothing to do with Russia. I've never been to Russia. So tell me if I summarized what happened to you accurately. The special counsel's yes. office gets a hold of your personal computer and your phone. They've got all the records, all the data, and they start asking you about things they already know. And they ask you, have you ever tried to broker a meeting with Assange? You don't remember forwarding this email. They come back and say, bingo, you just committed a felony. Is that well, what happened? It's even worse. First of all, I offered, I gave my computers a special counsel. I gave them my cell phone. Uh, I gave them all my email accounts. I gave them everything they wanted, my Twitter accounts. My, uh, I signed permission and handed all this over. Now, on the first day when I was interviewed, 
I didn't remember that email. Now, the special counsel came in and blew up, and they actually sent me home and gave me an opportunity to review the emails. When I came back, I amended the testimony to say that I now remember the email. And right. special counsel was happy with that until I couldn't give them what they wanted, which was a connection that I had with Assange that they assumed I had, which I didn't have. Now, suddenly, they forgot they allowed me to amend my testimony, and they're going back to the mistake I made day one when I forgot the email. So it's really, uh, I think, completely fraudulent, uh, the charge that they were trying to get me to plead to, and I refused to plead to a lie. Well, so, uh, but I'm a little confused here. So they have, is there anything that you withheld from them? You say you gave them access to Everything. all of your communications. So if you'd had direct contact with Julian Assange or with someone else who had had contact with Assange, they would already know that, wouldn't they? I would think so. I mean, I gave them everything voluntarily. I had a time machine on that computer, which recorded everything precisely and kept it in the time machine uh, back through 2015. I, the computer broke in 2018, but I gave them, I kept it. They had, I voluntarily gave them the 17-inch Apple laptop and the time machine I gave them my cell phone. I signed over permission for all of my emails, gave them the usernames and passwords. I allowed them to see my Twitter. I even helped Quantico download my Twitter and my Google accounts. I signed over Verizon accounts, everything they wanted. I had nothing to hide. I gave them to them immediately. And for having forgotten on day one, because I hadn't reviewed the emails, this particular email about Ted Malik, I'm now being charged with uh, willfully and knowingly giving false information, which is which is nonsense. I never willingly and falsely gave false information. I intended always to tell the truth. My memory was not perfect. So basically, uh, gosh, you know, if someone asks me, hey, Tori, did you have any communication with Joe Schmo? I'd be like, no, I don't I don't remember having. But then I have like emails scattered throughout like the the 10 different email addresses I use, right? Somewhere there's Joe Schmoes from like last year or even last week. I probably wouldn't remember, right? So it's just so dumb, so dumb. But you know, the best way to introduce evidence uh, and not be able to get rid of it uh, is by just giving them whatever the fuck they want. Here, take it. Right. So and let me just say that if you deleted emails, presumably the special counsel would have the ability to retrieve those emails. So they would know, I think, um, what your communications were. I've read accounts in the press. I read one in the Washington Monthly, a, a liberal magazine, saying that you deserve to go to prison because you've expressed views that they don't like. Do you think that your political views are playing a role in the decision of the special counsel to charge you with a felony? Uh, yes, I think. And also, by the way, they accused me of deleting emails. And I told them to restore. They restored the emails that I supposedly yeah. deleted through the time machine. This is a political winch hut uh, because I did not have a contact with Assange, but yet had figured out that Assange had uh, Podesta's emails. And I figured it out and told Roger Stone and told many people in August. And it just happened that I was right. Well, the prosecutor said, Dr. Corsi, we're not going to believe that on your 25th wedding anniversary to, to Italy with your wife and family, you had divine inspiration and God told you Podesta had Assange's emails. Well, I said, I don't know if you want to put it that crassly, but I did figure it out and I connect the dots. And this time I happened to be right. You just won't believe that I figured it out. 
So, so quickly, because I can't resist asking, because I think the human cost is worth knowing about, what does this cost you? Oh, it's, it's going to be, just to get started, a couple hundred thousand dollars. I mean, it bankrupts you very quickly. And, and the special prosecutors blow you up. They do this, what I call perjury trap. It's really, you know, they ask you a question. They have material they won't show you. You've forgotten about it. They say, you just lied. Because this email you forgot about in 2016 yeah. proves your current memory is wrong. I mean, it's a memory test. It's it's, it, and then they accuse you of lying. It's completely rigged and it's politically driven by Clinton yeah. operatives who have an agenda. And if you can't give them, Roger's right, if you can't give them what they're looking for to fill their narrative, they blow you up and charge you with a crime. I think the public should see what's happening. So I'm grateful that you came on to explain it. Thank you, Jerome Corsi. And that is so true. They will come at you hard. They will come at you hard if they think that you're trying to, you know, come at them. And, you know, Jerome Corsi's right. It costs a fortune to litigate. Like, it drives someone into the ground. I mean, I was litigated to nothing, right? Having me being dependent on a devil, right? When I was being litigated by the attorney general who tried the same shit, he was like, produce this. I was like, I don't have that. And I was like, why do you have it? Because then that would be illegal. You know, <laughs> I don't have that shit. So it's like, they were asking me for shit I didn't have because they were hoping that I had something right. And, and it's, it's, it's normal. They do that all the time, by the way, sorry for the late notice, but tomorrow I will not be on air. I will make it up on Saturday, I hope. If I can, I'll let you guys know what I'm up to tomorrow. Because um, <laughs> um, I will be going somewhere um, to finish up for the... Uh, for the. Um, I'm going to be going somewhere to finish up, I, I guess, you know, for the docuseries. So... I can't be on air tomorrow. Um, so that's that. I can try, though. I could try, maybe a little bit. Um, so let me give you one more little tidbit where you can hear Jerome Corsi talking. Hence why I'm asking, where'd he go? Because he was another victim of the Alex Jones smear campaign. He did it to Millie. He did it to him. They do it to everyone. It's so interesting. And Roger Stone told Alex Jones to fire Millie. Roger Stone told Ali Akbar to come after Millie and me. Then he told him, leave Tori alone. Shit. We fucked up. And then Alex Jones, because he had a berry, I'm thinking that Rob Dew, allegedly, tapped Caitlin Bennett to make that video that was a hit piece against Millie Weaver using my minor child. And then they aired that shit on InfoWars. And Alex Jones promoted that shit, attacking children. It was the most vicious attack, and he sued them too. And so the thing is, how'd you pay them, Roger? Why would you go after me? I was trying to help. And when you attack the people that are trying to help because you're not that transparent, you make your bed.
and you lay in it, hence why you're canvassing. Right now, this is a very tense moment in your life. This is really serious. You've been offered a plea to plead guilty to one count of lying to investigators, and you're saying they're rejecting that. Yes, because the uh, plea I was offered would involve me telling a lie. Uh, I did not willfully and knowingly and intentionally uh, tell the federal investigators something that was false. I was not trying to mislead them. I went in to cooperate, and I will not, just to avoid going to prison, plead to that I willfully tried to lie to them. That's a lie, and I won't tell it. Well, let me just go through the statement of offense that the government uh, gave to you just a, a few weeks ago. On or about July 25th, 2016, person one, that's Roger Stone, right? sent an email to Corsi with the subject line, get to Assange, the founder of Organization One. The body of the message read, get to Assange at Ecuadorian Embassy in London and get the pending WikiLeaks emails. They deal with foundation, allegedly. On or about the same day, Corsi forwarded Stone's email to the overseas individual. So tell me about that. I mean, that seems like you you received this email and forwarded it the urging uh was it ted malik who was in london he's a conservative author to get to assange in the ecuadorian embassy yes well see let me explain to you what that count is about uh i had this 17 inch laptop and by the way i turned over the laptop and the time machine my cell phone signed all my email accounts gave them the password uh, username, consent forms. Uh, I gave them my Verizon permission to go after my Verizon phone calls. I gave them everything they wanted. Now, the problem was I quit using that laptop in 2018. So you're saying you had totally forgotten about this. Yes, now. and in fact, the original testimony I gave was before I had seen my 2016 emails. Now, what they're charging me with was what I said on the first day, which was wrong. I hadn't seen the emails. Mm -hmm. Okay, as soon as I s opened up the time machine and they said, well, Dr. Corsi, go home and review your emails and come back. When I did, they allowed me to amend my testimony. Mm -hmm. So they're charging me on the original mistake I made and not reflecting that they allowed me to amend that statement. But now that you see this email, you've remembered it, you amended your statement, did you feel pressure from Stone to forward that to Ted Malik? And uh, get him to the embassy? I was happy to forward it. In fact, as I saw it again, I'd forgotten it. You know, so you were excited about WikiLeaks, what WikiLeaks look, was going on. Everybody to. in the world wanted to know what WikiLeaks had. Mm -hmm. Now, I was reluctant to go see him because I didn't want to immediately be under the investigation of every intelligence agency So you actually in the world. thought about going to see Assange well, in, fact, in London? Well, in fact, when I saw my emails, mm -hmm. Joseph Farah, who was my boss, Mm -hmm. at WorldNet Daily, had been writing for WND.com. So I just want to say something. So he didn't want to go because that meant all the intelligence agencies were looking at him. But didn't Cassandra Fairbanks go not once, but twice? She worked for Big League Politics, and then she worked for Gateway Pundit. Now she works for Tim Pool. But didn't she have that concern? She actually went inside and met him. I'm just, it's like... I, I'm just pointing some things out. So he didn't go, even though anyone would have been excited to go talk. Who wouldn't want to speak with Julian Assange? 
what he did from a young age, from a young age is incredible. So why wouldn't you, any one of you that may have had the opportunity, um, you know, it would have been great to sit down and have a conversation with him. <laughs> Who wouldn't? But the question is, a lot of people like Jerome Corsi or even myself, if I had that opportunity, would be like, yeah, so um, I'm going to not go because I I don't need extra eyes on me. Like, I don't need to be put in a corner or anything like that. But then people like that that are actually tapped by the other side, which is the same side. There are no two sides. They all work together, right? Aren't afraid of that. See, Pamela Anderson went to see him. So weird, right? Isn't that weird? Pamela Anderson went to see him and no one thought, dude, that's weird. And Cassandra Fairbanks went twice. No problem. Not at all. Nope, nope, nope. See, that's what people don't understand. This whole Mueller investigation was to try to figure out who was infiltrating them because they had no idea how all this information was landing into laps of people, right? <laughs> it was landing into the laps of many people. They were like, who is it? Who, who, who is leaking this? Who, who is, who's getting this out? It's gotta be Assange. Well, Assange is getting it from somewhere and then Assange isn't getting some of the information they're getting. So, so where's it coming from? It's got to be one of our own. Well, we've checked everything and we can't find how, who, what, when, where. All our people are safe, right? It's got to be a leak. We got to find them. And three years later, they're just like, okay, maybe it was this person. Maybe it was that person. Maybe it was this person. Well, we'll just see. And now... Jerome Corsi gave him everything. You know, when the FBI takes your shit, it becomes evidence. Since 2004, was mad at us, said, why don't you guys go see Assange? So your boss was actually telling you, go see Assange. And I said to Joseph Harris, send me an airplane ticket to London, make it my assignment, and I'll go there. You would have been happy to go see Assange. Under New York Times, BUS, Pentagon Papers case, it would not have been a crime for me to go see Assange. Mm -hmm. I just didn't want to, but my original testimony was incorrect and that my emails show mm -hmm. I was willing. So there's another email. On or about July 31st, 2016, Roger Stone emailed Corsi with the subject line, call me Monday. The body of the email read in part that the Ted Malik, the overseas individual, should see Assange. Now I actually have that email. Roger Stone gave it to me. Malik should see Assange. Here it is. Just right. I, you know, mm -hmm. Uh, again, I don't um, really remember these emails until I see them. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, the special counsel said, you're reconstructing. We don't want reconstructing or you're inventing. Well, look. Was he uh, pressuring you? Did you feel who, pressure? Roger, Roger Stone, Stone? Mm -hmm. Roger Stone desperately wanted to know what Assange did, had. Now, everybody in the world wanted to know what Assange had. Every political operative, every journalist. Well, he seems to have wanted to know more than, than other no, people. No, everybody wanted to know. What does Assange have? Then there's another email, a third email, on or about August 2nd, 2016. Corsi responded to Stone by email. Corsi wrote that he was currently in Europe and planned to return in mid-August. Corsi stated, quote, Word is friend in embassy plans two more dumps, one shortly after I'm back, second in October. Impact planned to be very damaging. 
time to let more than Podesta to be exposed as in bed with enemy if they are not ready to drop HRC, Hillary Rodham Clinton. That appears to be the game hackers are now about. Would not hurt to start suggesting HRC old memory bad, has stroke, neither he or she well. I expect that much of next dump focus, setting stage for foundation debacle. Okay, Tell now- me about this email. So you are essentially telling him in the beginning that a, a dump is going to come October 2nd. Now, he, Assange announced that there was going to be a dump on October 3rd and it eventually came on the 7th. So how did you know that the dump was going to be coming okay, and that now, it would be damaging? Let me explain the story to you, what happened. Mm-hmm. Um, on July 2016, about end of July, mm-hmm. my wife and I had our 25th wedding anniversary. We went to Italy with mm-hmm. the family as had an eight-hour flight, mm-hmm. and in that flight, I realized, I figured out that Assange had Podesta's emails. You figured it out. How did you figure out that Assange had Podesta's okay, emails? Okay, I tried to explain to the special counsel. It's, it happened mm-hmm. the following way. I had sources who explained to me in great detail how the Democrats put their computer system together. I had hundreds and hundreds of pages, and I understood their computer system. Assange dropped 40,000 emails, uh, which came out of the DNC email server. Mm-hmm. These were dumped against Debbie Wasserman Schultz. Okay, and that in fact forced Debbie Wasserman Schultz to resign. Mm-hmm. It was dumped in two days, very strategically. Uh, and that's important because Assange knew uh, the Democrats couldn't recover from the news cycle if he dominated it, and she resigned. Mm-hmm. Now, I strategically, I did a forensic analysis of those emails as I've been trained to do. And what I realized was they came out of the DNC email server and they involved officials, about seven or eight officials who had been involved in the Bernie Sanders, uh, Hillary trying to steal the primary from Bernie Sanders. But I said, wait a minute, there's no Podesta emails here. Now, whoever got into that server had to see the Podesta emails because they were all going through or been sent to someone mm-hmm. at this dnc.org address, and I understood that. So I said, I bet what Assange has left is Podesta's emails. And it was speculation, it was deduction. I just happened to be right. I could be see how it enough. would be hard for investigators to believe that. Address. In fact, the way uh, Jeannie Ree characterized it, one of the times when she was angry at me and saying I was lying. Jeannie Ree is one of the prosecutors. She, Jeannie Ree says, Dr. Corsi, you are asking us to believe that as international flight celebrate your 25th anniversary with your wife, you had divine inspiration. And in a miracle, God told you that Julian Assange has Podesta's emails. You have made, made up stories that have been untrue in the past, like the birther. Oh, see, that's Aaron Zelinsky. Aaron Zelensky says, Dr. Corsi, you're very good at picking these facts and doing a narrative which is lying, where we have a world in truth and falsity. I said, well, Mr. Zelensky, I knew he was talking about the birth certificate. I'll defy you to show me Barack Obama's 1961 original Hawaiian birth certificate. Do you still believe that Barack Obama Absol- was not born well, in the United States? Well, I believe States. there's no birth certificate from 1961. I was out he there. He did release a birth certificate. Uh, it was a computer printout, which didn't exist in 1961. And the forensic analysis that Sheriff Arpaio did on it said it was a fake. It does seem that you just can't help yourself with a juicy 
conspiracy. I see. Now that goes back to the CIA and anybody who doesn't believe Lee Harvey Oswald pulled the trigger and killed JFK is a nutcase. Because you're now locked into, you may not realize it, but you're locked into official government explanations of events they don't want examined. All right, well, let's put that aside and let's keep going. So, point five in the statement of offense. Between approximately January 13th, 2017 and March 1st, 2017, Corsi deleted his computer from his computer all email correspondence that predated October 11th, 2016 including Stone's email instructing Corsi to get to Assange and Corsi's subsequent forwarding of that email to Malik. When I finally reloaded my emails, I had 60,000 from 2016. So you were able to recover I don't remember. Them. I don't remember the They're specific They're saying you deletion. deleted them. Well, I may have, but I also turned over the time machine. But why would you have deleted those I don't. Well, first of all, I don't remember. Mm -hmm. Secondly, I was constantly deleting emails. I was deleting them because the program for the emails wouldn't open. Mm -hmm. I was trying to keep this computer going. Now, because I gave them the time machine, it's obvious, which had a permanent record, I knew they could <laughs> reconstruct and I could reconstruct every deleted email on that computer. Mm -hmm. I do think that Roger had other contacts that did go to Assange because about the 15th of August, I wrote a story mm -hmm. in which Roger told me he'd made contact with Assange. Mm -hmm. and I didn't think that was through me because I knew I had not contacted Assange. I didn't think Roger believed me when I told him it was going to be Podesta's emails that Assange had. If you plead guilty to one count of making false statements, as the government is offering you an opportunity to do, that might make your life a lot easier. Are you considering that? No, I've rejected it already because that one count was the mistake I made the first day that they allowed me to amend. Mm -hmm. Secondly, I did not, the statute reads, uh, knowingly and willfully provide false information. As I said, my memory was terrible. They're quizzing me on things where I was giving them my current memory, not seeing emails that I had forgotten or mm -hmm. conversations that I'd forgotten. So it was a trap from the beginning. Mm -hmm. Okay, I've always, when I will not swear to a lie to stay out of prison. If I'm required to lie and say I willfully and knowingly gave them false information, they can send me to prison for the rest of my life. I will not lie to save my hide. Are you hoping for a pardon from President Trump? I'm not hoping for anything. I'm hoping that all I'm doing is I refuse to lie because I did not willfully and knowingly mislead the special counsel, the FBI, or anyone else. Hey, NBC News viewers, thanks for... And he didn't. He gave them everything, and they still went after him. So where is he now? Not only him. The people trashed him, too. Alex Jones did, you know. He's a serial defamer. It seems like InfoWars is simply there to defame people. So to end this show, I will re-show you this trailer and bid you a great evening. God bless everyone. Covering the intelligence community is mosaic. It's a puzzle. You protect each piece. 
because you don't know what piece someone is missing. Wow! And a merry bahamba to all from TV Marti, the voice of Cuba. An operation that we used against the Soviets during the Cold War, its counter-operation is being used in the United States. We cannot run an intelligence business on that kind of basis, and part of it's secret, and I'm going to say that it stays secret. That, you know, there's all of Soros-funded, open society-funded art organizations in Eastern Europe uh, that all happened in the 90s. That's the funding that starts before the, the market funding. It's the Ford Foundation funding, right? It's Triangle Arts Trust. But existing foundations like Ford have their limitations, and officially at least entirely independent of the CIA. Why not create new foundations? Agency among agency, foundation upon foundation, that is how you build a mosaic. First, CIA itself set up a number of dummy foundations, calling them by impressive-sounding if meaningless names. Today is really a chance for global citizens to come together and let those leaders know the time for action is now. This amphitheater is actually going to be filled with fully vaccinated activists. I thank you very much for this opportunity to address the Davos agenda. A new global deal, a new model for global governance. Global governance. Did you hear that? What truly matters is not which party controls our government, but whether our government is controlled by the people. They're decimating the State Department. As a friend of mine, who was the number two guy at the State Department, said, you can go up on the seventh floor and holler and hear an echo. As a former government official, government's going to kill this guy. And he questioned the uh, integrity of the intelligence agencies. What does he expect? Does he expect them to love him and not leak stuff? Because he started this war with the intelligence agencies, and this is what you're getting now, David. Been The show's been uh, incredibly uh, prescient in, in, in years uh, before. Do you do this every season where you go get to spend some time with some actual we spies? Yeah, we do. It's, so we park ourselves in a, a club in Georgetown and talk to, like, real spooks. And, you know, people in the intelligence community and, and the State Department and journalists. I'd like to think that what we do on Homeland that's different from what people in the real CIA or in Spy Masters does is that we are trying to give the poetic version. But this year it was all about, you know, the distrust between the administration and, and the intelligence world. And, um, and the intelligence community was suddenly kind of allying itself with journalists. Probably too irreverently say, Carrie worked for me. Okay. Minus the sex, the drugs, and the bipolar thing, that Carrie worked for me. And, and frankly, that's true. I'm touched by the patriotism of Brennan, who I met, who I went into his office. Why did he bring me in his office? Why? Because John Owen Brennan embraces all his conduits. Coming this Christmas, the docu-series. Enjoy the show.